Okay, glad that you're here. Grab the notes. We'll jump right in. Um, want to give a shout out though real quick. One of our great missionaries is here this weekend, Charlene Bodie, sitting right down here on the front row. If you've been here for any length of time, you know who she is. If you don't, make yourself available in the foyer after for people to meet her. She's in England. And uh, if there is a place that needs God in the world, Europe in particular, man, they had the gospel for a thousand years. And in many ways, um, that light is being challenged. How about that word? But God is sending people like Charlene uh, all over the world, and in particular in England. And God is doing powerful things in, in many places in Europe, and in particular in England. And we are just glad she's here. She's taking a little rest, getting charged up, visiting some of the people that love her and that bless her. And so she's just, uh, she's just here this weekend. If you've not met her, powerful, powerful woman of God, prophetic. How many good things can I say about you? <laughs> Author, preacher, beautiful. You got it all and a bag of chips. So make sure to, uh, to say hi to her uh, after the service is over. Listen, when I was writing the message, uh, we're in a series called uh, When God Is. And this week is when God is moving. And that word, uh, you know, sometimes in church, we develop our own language and we get it. And then people that come in don't get it. So we use a word like God is moving. And if you know God and you love God and you go to church, you'll get that idea that God can move. But what does that mean? Let's say that you come this weekend and you've been here like three times and the pastor gets up and goes, hey, when God is moving and people go like, God has a house and where's he going to? And how much stuff does he take with him? Does he need help? Do I have to, if I go to church here, help move? Because God would have a lot of stuff. It'd be too big for me. To, I know that's silly, but just we use language sometimes. We don't realize that people don't always get our language. All right, give you an idea. So I'm writing the message and I'm writing the title, When God is Moving. But it gets me thinking about how many times I moved, which they're two completely different things. But I'm going to use this as an opening to where I'm going to go. When I was a kid, I counted up. I don't know that I've ever actually done that. And I, I had to actually sit and write, think back in my life, how many times I've moved. And when I was a kid, we moved a lot. Listen to this right here. Between first and 12th grade, I went to 11 different schools. The only school years that were from one to the other were seventh and eighth grade. Now, what's interesting about that is if you're going to have one year where you don't move, that junior high year is an important year to do it, isn't it? It was a good year uh, to be together, but literally from first grade through 12th grade, 11 different schools, and then I had to count. Listen to this. I moved 15 times in the first 20 years of my life, and so if you want to average that, I moved once every 15 months. That's a lot, and yet I know there are people in this room who go, you think that's a lot? Listen to this especially people that were in the service or people who found themselves in international work or maybe doing ministry that required a lot of moving and traveling. The only reason I even throw it out there is that we use that terminology when God moves. And people can think that we're talking about some kind of a physical move, but in reality, that's not what we're talking about. Here's a better word. Instead of saying when God is moving, how about this, when God is leading us. And the thought would simply be that God is not static, God is not, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, but that doesn't mean that what he does in our lives is static, stale, or the same. God does different things. God is interesting. He is alive. He is active. And so we use the words, God is moving, when we talk about things that God does. And so the nature of the message this weekend is simply to talk about when God is moving, your job is to follow his leading. If you ever get to the point where you're too comfortable to move, here's the problem. God doesn't go, hey, when you're ready, we'll go. God's expectation is follow me. 
And I'm give you some great scriptures on that. And maybe, maybe this comes into contact in your life for this reason, that if you have any hunger for God, any desire for God, if you're praying any prayer like, God, show up in my life or answer a prayer, God, I need you. Here's what's really important then. You need to follow when God is moving or leading. Because God is not static. God is interesting. He is alive and he is active in our lives. I'm going to use an Old Testament scripture, believe it or not, in order to demonstrate this point. It's from Exodus chapter 13. And I say this often, can anything good come out of Exodus? Yes, it is true. Exodus has lots of good things beyond people leaving Egypt. It has many lessons in what it's like to be set free from sin and bondage and people in your life who are toxic. So we're going to talk. I thought that was pretty. Thanks, Ames. If my kid gets it, I'm doing okay. Exodus 13, <laughs> 17, and 20 and 22 just simply reads this way. When Pharaoh finally, ah, let me stop. Uh, Israel has been in bondage 430 years. That's a long time by anybody's count. They have been slaves. When you look back on the history of the United States and you think about a time in our history when there was slavery, this is that comparison. These are people who have been locked in a situation, in a, uh, a place, in a time where they are mistreated, they are abused. There are no civil rights. There are no equal rights. There are no rights. You have nothing. And they have been crying out to God for 430 years, and the Bible says that God heard their cry. Why did it take 430? I don't know. The only thing I would describe to you is that sometimes we make decisions that have consequences with them, and Israel had put themselves in a situation with consequences. But God is merciful, and God hears our prayers, and he hears our cries, and Israel was in this place where they were crying out to God, and then comes Moses, the deliverer of the people. And if you know the story in front of a burning bush, God tells Moses, you're the one I'm sending to Pharaoh. Moses argues, who am I? I can't even speak well. God doesn't try to argue with Moses. He just simply conveys upon him the authority to go and do it, and Moses goes. And after talking with Pharaoh multiple times and Pharaoh hardening his heart and playing with Israel and on and on and on, finally, finally, Pharaoh's had enough. There's been death in Egypt because of what he's done to Israel. His child has lost his life. And Pharaoh's like, I've had enough. Let him go. And so we pick the story up when Israel is trying to get out of Egypt. So when Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. So just real quick before we go to the next one, Israel could have made it from Egypt to the promised land in about two weeks on a direct route. But if you know the story, it took them how long? 40 years. Now that was not God leading them in a circle it was their lack of faith. But the initial journey out of Egypt to the promised land would have taken two weeks, but God couldn't take them that direct route. He had to take them the long way because they would have gone by people who wanted to fight with them, and God knew their faith was not at a place to take on a fight yet. So he was protecting them. So many times, real quickly, in our lives, it looks like God is taking a long time, but the truth of the matter is you're not ready for what God has for you at some points in your life. So when God is taking extra time, he's protecting you, not messing with you. He's watching over your life. All right. The Israelites left Sukkoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. This means something, believe it or not. The Lord went ahead of them. Really important scripture. He's not behind them. He's not on the side. He's not way above. He's right in front of them so they know where they're supposed to go. He guided them. 
during the day with a pillar of cloud, and he provided a light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel day or night. So there's a cloud that they could follow in the daytime and a fire they could follow at nighttime. Anytime Moses said, let's go, anytime God was moving, anytime God was leading, Israel could follow based on being able just to visually look and see where God is at. Does that make sense? Okay, he guided them during the day. Uh, wait, go back real quick. You're, yeah, he guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud and he provided a light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or night. Now go. And the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire from its place in front of the people. I'm just going to stop the scripture there and teach on this part right here. This is what's important. We just all said it took them 40 years to get where they were going and it took them that long because a generation had no faith in God. God had to actually outlast that generation to get the next generation in place. But here's what's interesting. Even though they didn't have faith, God still remained faithful to them by leaving in place the thing that would lead them. Isn't that interesting? He never left them. He never forsook them. He never turned his back on them. He kept walking with them even when they would try his patience. So you got a pen or a pencil? Are you using the online version of the notes? We'll do some fill in the blanks here. Here's the first one. Sometimes... See if you've ever experienced this. Hey, by the way, um, usually I never get any questions on my grammar, but I intentionally uh, messed with the sentence structure just because I was trying to be cute. And my staff actually pointed it out to me and I overrode their decision. So like rather than email me, if I just admit that I made a mistake, can we let it go? (laughs) Kathleen, what do you think? Can we just like, here, how about, go ahead. Boo. Okay, we're done. All right. So I know, but I I liked what I was doing. Okay, sometimes the map and God disagree. Sometimes the map and God disagree. Look at verse 17 real quickly. Uh, This is is when Pharaoh finally let the people go. God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, remember? Even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. So if you pulled the map out, and you said, where do we need to go based on the map? The map would have said, just go this direct. The shortest distance between two points is a straight, a straight line. Thank you, math guy. Straight line. Straight line. That's, that's always the way that it is. So what, what the Bible is saying here, the shortest distance from Egypt to the promised land would have been a straight line. But God wouldn't take them on a straight line because they weren't ready for the battle it would have brought them into. Real quickly, I think what you can pull from this for us today is simply this. Sometimes the map and God's leading disagree with each other. You'll look at your life, you'll look at a situation, you'll look at where you're going, and you'll determine the shortest distance from where I am to where I need to be is this straight line right here. And God will go, don't do it. Don't do it. Now, for visual effect, I had them draw a map with a straight line from Egypt to the promised land and then kind of a, uh, a circuitous... So look at this real quick. This is, uh, this is, so here, this is Israel... And where they could have gone from Egypt straight to the promised land. But here's what they kind of, woo, all, all, man, all, it's a crazy, you would look at it and you would go, that's crazy. But if God kept them from facing a battle that would have killed them, would you say it was the right decision? Sometimes God doesn't explain why. He just wants to see if you'll be obedient. It will always be that way. You will never outgrow the need to be obedient to God. Uh, I have a buddy, pastor friend, Northern Colorado, on a staff that uh, I was on years ago. We decided to maintain a friendship with each other. And the way we do it to reconnect is once a year, we'll take off for two or three days, we'll play golf. 
and we go different places to do it. And we were in Nevada a few years ago in a little town called Mesquite, Nevada. I don't know if you've even ever, it's right over the border from Utah, right over the border. And the only thing in that town is golf courses. Like a town of less than 10,000, there's like eight golf courses in this little town. And it's just, you don't have to drive any place. Everything is just self-contained right there. But we had done it for two or three years. We were sick of the golf courses. We spent the night there, but we decided to branch out to a new golf course that was in a place called Bunker Hill, Nevada. Ever heard of that? (laughs) Neither had I. So we Googled it. And Google said, go this direction. But the website said, go this direction. They disagreed with each other. But Google Maps can't be wrong. (laughs) Right? Anybody? So off we go, like the children of Israel, into the desert <laughs> on a journey to the promised land golf course. And I, I till this day, <laughs> he kept saying, go straight, and I kept listening to Google that said, go left. And we ended up at this trailer in the middle of a place that even the devil doesn't go to. It was like the most desolate, and there's nothing there except this rundown, skanky-looking trailer. And I'm like, how could Google be wrong? But it was. And my only point simply is, sometimes even the wisest counsel in your life can be wrong compared to what God tells you to do. And you've got to be listening to God. Because even the thing that you rely on that might be right 99 out of 100 times, if it's not what God said, it's going to lead you to a place that God's not at. You will not get to the place you're trying to go. And it might be the shortest route, and you might get there quickly, and you might go on an adventure, but it's not the one you want to go on. You're going to find yourself at a place that you don't want to be. By the way, let me point this out real quickly. If there was ever a time for the perfect lie to be told by the enemy, it's right here. Let me, let me explain. Um, all the devil has to do is just tell Israel, God has to be mistaken. God wouldn't do something like this. And if Israel listens, man, they'll follow the enemy and not the voice of God. And I wonder how many times in our life um, the devil's waiting for that situation where God is trying to see if by faith we'll follow him and the devil's right there to tell us God wouldn't do it that way. And now he'll take just a, like he did with Adam and Eve in the garden. Did God really say, that's all he has to say. Did God really tell you to do this? And if he can get you to question that one thing, twist it just enough, boy, it'll mess you up in life, won't it? It's the perfect place for the enemy to lie when we are trying to follow something that God told us and it doesn't make sense when we're looking at the map, the signs, or the direction. How about this, though? I think many people, when I say that, are going to think to themselves, oh, Pastor, you're going to mislead people uh, by telling them that, that God and the map don't agree. I said, sometimes God and the map don't agree. Unless God says something, always follow the map. But God sometimes does say something that differs from all of the human logic around you. Are you listening to God? Because the difference between the promised land and a journey in the desert is hearing from God. Uh, here's the second one. Uh, actually, I'm sorry. Let me, let me, I'm going a little fast. Um, let me give you a scripture. Isaiah 55, verse 8. That's what it says uh, here. Uh, his ways 
are not our ways and his thoughts are nothing like our thoughts. There are times that in the natural, it makes sense to go a particular direction, but the way that God sees it, he sees things that you don't see. He understands things that you don't understand. He knows what you are incapable of knowing at the time. And the decision that he makes is to protect you. Man, I've taught this for 20 years. When you can't see his hand, trust his heart. In other words, when it does not make sense, believe that God is still good. And hold on and follow and never give that up. Here's the second one. Sometimes peace and comfort disagree with each other. Verse 20. Uh, this is that one I said that means something. Uh, the Israelites left Sukkoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. Okay, uh, today, well, who did I just talk to? Our children's pastor. Uh, pastor CP here at Lone Tree. Uh, CP just got back from vacation. In 12 days, he drove 4,000 miles. I'm like, did you just spend the vacation in your car? What, what did you, but he went, man, he went to Joshua Tree and he went up to the Redwood Forest and he went down the coast of California and he went to Phoenix and he went to Albuquerque. He told me all these places. I don't know how long he would have been in each, could like me moving when I was a kid. I bet he wasn't in any place more than 15 minutes. Just go, 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 go. He's all over the place going, 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 moving, 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 just constantly, constantly going. Um, they camped in the Redwood Forest. They camped at Joshua Tree. They camped on the beach. They camped in the mountains. You know, in our society today, you can go almost any place in the United States and camp. No, not a lot of danger to it. In about a month, I'm going to take people to Israel. Uh, 70 people. And one of the things we're going to do standing in Jerusalem is to look out to the wilderness which is simply across a brook right there. And you're in the wilderness. And in Jesus' time, and this is even before that, it was dangerous to go in the wilderness. And so here's what this is a reference to. They're camping in a place that's really unknown and kind of freaky and it's not comfortable. And Egypt was a bad place, but they did have houses. And Egypt was a bad place, but they knew what tomorrow was going to be like. And all of a sudden, man, they're in a place where it could come from behind, it could come from the front, it could come from the sides. What's going to happen to us? They're in a place all of a sudden where it's not comfortable, but here's what they have after 430 years, peace. What is peace worth? Put a price on peace real quick. What would you pay to have peace in your life? If you're in strife, what would you pay for it? What would you pay to get it in your marriage? What would you pay to get it in the relationship with your children? What would you pay to get it in the relationship with your parents, with a friend, where it's gone? What would you pay for peace? No, honestly. You don't know what it's worth till you're in strife. And when you're in strife, you know how horrible strife is and that peace is worth anything. What would you pay for peace? Sometimes peace and comfort will disagree with each other. People say this all the time. It's church language again. Seek the peace of God. Look for the peace of God. You ever heard that one? Find the peace of God. What does that mean? For most of us, peace means comfort. Look for where you're most comfortable because God is there. And that is not true. Most anything I've ever done in my life that counted, that mattered, that did something courageous, required me to be uncomfortable, but I felt the peace of God. Right now, I've spent so many years raising up people and, and putting together churches and having this, 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 this mechanism that God was using in a phenomenal way to have God come in and say, release them now to become their own thing. You can't imagine. the Dan and I spent almost four hours 
just on Thursday trying to work through the last two weeks of information. And then he tells me just a few minutes ago, we actually didn't talk about the thing we needed to talk about. <laughs> Sorry, Kim. We meant to, but it's so... There is so much turmoil, but there is incredible peace right now. And that's what we said to each other. We can follow God's peace, but we are completely uncomfortable in what we are doing. Sometimes comfort and peace are not synonymous. You can be doing everything God wants you to do and not have any comfort in your life. And we are creek. It is go time. Woo! I'm going to tell that dream here in a minute because that was a word and a half. It's often stated, follow the peace of God. But for most of us, we're looking for the comfort of life, not realizing that peace and comfort are not always synonymous. Comfort is important. I'm not against comfort. When I go home, I have a comfortable chair. I have comfortable shorts. Anybody else have comfortable shorts? Yes, you are real people. The rest of you are lying to me right now. You know you, the ones you don't want to show up at the store and have somebody from church. Hey, you know those shorts? Those shorts. Yes. You know, come on, real people. We have those shorts. Mine are stained, have a big Nike thing and a rip right in the butt. I have to wear certain other shorts to wear them, unless I'm at home. My kids are all gone. It's sort of a come on, I think, but I don't know. Uh, I gotta, I'm digressing. Got to stop. Stop encouraging me. Stop right now. You can have peace and no ease, and you can have ease and no peace. I'm not saying you can't have them together, but sometimes when you're following God, you choose between those two things. I can have ease and no peace, or I can have peace and no ease. Always follow God. Always choose to go with God. The comfort that comes and goes in life, God can provide it at any time. Turmoil in our changes, but incredible peace in our lives is what we're seeking. Sometimes, three, I wish I had a sign. You ever say that? I wish I had a sign. I remember laying in bed one time and, uh, man, just praying, praying, praying. God, just please, just convince me, show me, give me a fleece. Ever ask for a fleece? There's more church speak. A fleece. People coming in, you know, a fleece. A fleece? What are you, what are you, a fleece? A fleece in the Old Testament was a sheepskin. And there was a story about a guy who laid it out on the ground. And so he just told the Lord, if you want me to go this direction, then let the dew only be on the fleece and not on the ground. And he woke up and guess what? It was only on the fleece and not on the ground. So he says this, God, if that's really you, tomorrow morning, make it on the ground and not on the fleece. Is that human nature or What? How many times do we bark? I'm laying in bed. I got my feet crossed. I'm looking at my big toe, and this is what I say to God. Forgive. I know this is so horrible. It was many years ago in my life. I'm much more mature than this now. Much more mature than this. I go, God, if you really want me to do that, wiggle my big toe. Is that terrible? Wiggle my big toe. And suddenly my whole butt. No, that's not what happened. You know what happened? Nothing happened. Nothing happened. But I began to think like this. Here was my thought. I'd probably ask for him to wiggle the left toe if he did the right. I would go, I think that might have been a cramp. So let's just one more time. Do it. We're never sat. We think a sign would give us all the faith that we need. Look at me real quick. We think a sign would give us all the faith that we need. Jesus said, an unfaithful generation demands a sign. People that can't be led by faith. 
Signs and wonders are powerful. They point the way, but if you've got to live your life by a sign, you're not listening. We have something better than a sign. Look at your pastor. You have the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. The Holy Spirit is not some sign that shows up here and there. He is a 24-7, 365, your whole life witness to the truth of God. Learn to listen to the Holy Spirit, man. It is powerful. It, 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 it is better than a sign. We always believe if I just had a sign, I'd have the faith. You've got the Holy Ghost. Jesus said it's better for you if I go away so that the one who leads you into truth can come your way. Man, when we learn to listen to the Holy Spirit, we have a witness or a sign in us every day that no person or demon can take away. And you don't have to lay in bed and go, God, if you just show up in this particular way. Sometimes we think this, if I had a sign, God, it would be all I would need to be the person in this world you want me to be. Uh, let me give you a great example to think about just for a moment. Israel, for 40 years, had this. Every morning, it rained manna. Manna in Hebrew means, what is it? Because they'd wake up and go, what is it? It's angel food. It's the food that angels ate. And they'd go out and gather it every morning, and it would sustain them. It would, it, I mean, when's the last time you went out and did something like that? That's a sign. A powerful sign. When they got sick of eating angel food and complained about it, God had a bunch of ravens bring them meat meat. I don't know what kind of bird meat would, I would think roadkill. <laughs> Can we be, I mean, I, but I guess if you were sick of eating manna, you'd be happy for the bird meat that came your way all of a sudden. Then they get sick of that. Uh, their clothes never wore out for 40 years, which for me, that's no miracle, but I got kids. <laughs> and they would, I would buy a new pair of pants for those boys and they would come home with holes in them. If you like, like your shorts, Dad, come on. It's all, it's all good. Their clothes didn't wear out for 40 years. They're in the desert. There's no water. Moses strikes a rock, and a spring comes forth. That's a sign, powerful sign. Yes or no? When they wanted to know where God was, during the daytime they had a cloud, and at nighttime they had a pillar of fire, and there was never one moment where they... We're without those things. That's a powerful sign. Yeah. Do you agree? Yeah. Disease, God would heal it. <laughs> story after story of God doing miraculous things. The story about Pharaoh. Pharaoh comes after them after letting them go. And they get locked between the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army. Squeezed in a really difficult place. And Moses has to stand there. And they're ready to kill Moses, it says. Stone Moses and let's go back to Egypt. So Pharaoh's army's coming this way. The Red Sea's this way. God does. He parts the Red Sea for Israel. They walk through it and you know the story, man. Pharaoh and his armies tries to go through and the river, the sea closes on them and they drowned. Somebody told me one time, uh, that, that that's explainable because God sent that wind that he sent. It was only about six inches of water that they had to go through. And the, so the wind could blow hard enough to move six inches of water. I said, well, then the greater miracle is that an entire army drowned in six inches of water. <laughs> Think about that one. Like, how did that happen? 
I mean, you'd have to want to get down there and do that. <laughs> so my point simply is, Israel for 40 years saw miracles every day. And if you know the story, yes or no, this is true. For 40 years, every day they saw the miraculous and every other day they backslid. An entire generation couldn't go into the promised land because the signs were not enough to give them faith, yes or no. And here's what we think. If you'd show up in a powerful way, that'd be enough to convince everybody and it wouldn't work today like it didn't work then. Signs and wonders are powerful witnesses, but they're not Jesus. They're not God's. They're the things that God does. We have God given to us on the inside of us through the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I wish I had a sign. Here's number four. Always, I know my sentence structure is bad. Always, God remains faithful. Why did I say it that way? Because one was sometimes, two was sometimes, three was sometimes, but four is always. And this is important. Now I had fun, but this is serious and deadly so. Always, God remains faithful. Verse 22, the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire from its place in front of the people. Regardless of Israel's response to God, God stayed faithful to Israel. Jesus promised this, I'll never leave you and I'll never what? I'll never forsake you. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Bible, the continuity of it, if you'll look at it for what it is, it's there. But then remember this, he's the same, and yet he is active and alive in our lives, moving and leading and challenging us. Amy had a dream about me last week. Listen to this dream. So now, by the way, real quick, I have dreams all the time. Most of them are nothing but I can show you from the Old Testament and the New Testament that God can speak to you through a dream. Dreams are alive, they are active, they are powerful, and God will try to speak to us at times through a dream. I've had several in my life that have altered my direction and given me incredible things because I listened. So my girl calls me up last week, my oldest, and she says, Dad, I had a dream about you. She says, I want to tell you what it is. I knew before she had said the next words out of her mouth that I was supposed to listen to what she had to say. And she said, we were at our church, but it was new. God was do something new. And she said, it was you, me, and mom. And she said, you were just about to preach. She said, but as you stepped into the building, you stepped in a big puddle. You got mud all over your shoes. And you were so frustrated. You're like, ah. And she said, it was kind of funny, so I laughed at you. And she said, but you were frustrated, but you went up and you taught. And she says, then the next time you were getting ready to go preach and I had a cup of coffee and right before you went up, I spilled the coffee all over you, dad. She said, you were so frustrated. But again, I laughed because it was funny. And she said, then the next time I saw you, you're getting ready to go preach and you're wearing a suit that was almost just comical because it was so big, it didn't fit you right. And she said again, she said, I looked at it and in my mind, it didn't seem like it was that much. But for you, she said, you looked at mom and I and you said, that's it. I can't take all these little things anymore. I'm done. And we looked at you and said, are you crazy? You have this mechanism that God is using week in and week out, and you're letting the little things frustrate you and mess with you and get to you? And she said, Dad, you're working for something that's never going to happen. 
It's never gonna be perfect. There's never coming a day where there's not a problem. There's never gonna be a moment when everybody looks at you and says, you finally did it, you've arrived, there it is. But you have this mechanism that God is using really powerfully and your ability to hang in there when everything else is aggravating you. You ever been there? When everything else, you just can't quite, you get this. You ever play that game where you're hitting those little woodchucks that come up out and you hit one and then another one pops up? You ever played that game? Whack-a-mole, that's it, whack-a-mole. Spiritually, it's like whack-a-mole sometimes. You get one and then another thing pops up over here. And I know that's silly, but yes or no, that's spiritual life sometimes. You never get to a place unless the game's over where it's not an issue. And as long as you're in this life, that's an issue. The enemy comes at us in so many different ways and so many things in the natural and different stuff happens and we get to decide when we're going to quit. But God remains faithful no matter what. And if you'll just stay in that place and hold your faith and not give up, man, you can't be beat. You cannot be beat. And that is sometimes what it's all about. You're just in that place. You're not going to get to a day where everything's perfect because that's not life in this world. There's one coming and there's a promise. But it's heaven. It's heaven. And we're not in heaven yet. Our job is to bring heaven here. Jesus' job is to bring us there. And when the time is right, he will. But until then, this is what we do. And this is what we're about, man. And holding on to that place, following God and believing God and not letting anything make us unfaithful. Always, no matter what. Here's what the Bible says. When we're unfaithful, he remains faithful. Because he'll never deny himself. And if he lives inside of you, that is who you are, regardless of what you're doing at any given moment. That is who you are. That is the truth. Let me close and pray, and then I've got something I want to talk to you about real quick. Father, I love you, and I thank you for the opportunity to talk to your people. God, I love them, but I know it doesn't come close to how you feel about them. Uh, with great passion in my heart, I try to stir when I stand up here. <laughs> Here's church language with fire in my bones. I stand before you, man, and give everything that I have because I believe it is so important and so true and it is life-changing and altering. And man, I, I walk in every time believing that God is speaking and moving and that it can be relevant to where people are. And if not for today, then put it in your pocket as a chip to pull out tomorrow. God is so faithful to us and leading us and active and alive in our lives. And you might be in this place where it's just like uncomfortable and you're being tried out and comfort's being, what's God doing? The map that you've always relied on might be unreliable compared to what God is saying right now. Hang on to God. You might find yourself in a place where you're just like, oh, I just don't want to do it anymore. It's just so difficult and so hard and there's so many things that are wrong. And God's put this great mechanism in your life where he can do great things. Don't give up. Don't let go of your faith. Don't cast aside your confidence. 
It has a great reward. God is so faithful. Maybe you find yourself at a place where you go, Pastor, if you really knew how unfaithful I was, it'd be hard to believe that God would remain faithful to me. Here's what I would say to you. The devil's a really good liar. And it's when we're in that place where we've messed up that the devil is right there to tell us, don't listen to God and don't follow God. Don't believe those things. It can't be true. And it is true. Regardless of where you find yourself in life, God loves you and he's for you and he's trying to draw you right now. What will you say? The right answer is yes. God, I'll say yes. You don't need to go another moment, day, week, month, year, years. Go in your own direction. He's here right now. His arms are open towards you. Smile on his face. And he's calling you. What do you say? He's merciful. He's gracious. He's faithful. Willing to forgive. Available. And his heart is turned towards you. What will you say? Father, wherever we find ourselves at, help us. Thank you for being faithful to us. Thank you for never leading, leaving us. Thank you, God, for always leading us, being with us. Lord, right now, as you just draw and pull and you move in our lives, God, we want to be really attentive to what the Holy Spirit is saying. Forgive us for always asking for a sign. Help us to learn to really lean on the voice of the Holy Spirit. God, thank you for that. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.